1: today we have an enemy today in fact we have three if you think about it we have the world the flesh and the devil and those three come against us in great powers and they try to sway us and lead us away from our God so they are our enemies so if we want victory over the enemy or those enemies then we need to return to the Lord with our hearts we need to put away the foreign gods we need to prepare our hearts and serve
0: only him What is it that keeps you from God? What do you serve above or alongside God? Today, Pastor Dave will remind you that you can have victory from the enemies of the world and the devil against you. God calls you to get rid of all that keeps you from him. Return to him. Make your heart right with him so you can have victory. Here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8 as he begins his message, We Want a King.
1: We're going to be in 1 Samuel 8, verses 1 through 9. 1 Samuel 8, verses 1 through 9. Open up your Bibles to that chapter. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his son judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, look, you're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But that thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore, heed their voice, however... You shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So as we come to chapter 8 in the book of 1 Samuel, Samuel is writing this account, they believe. Believe it or not, some 20 to 25 years have passed since Samuel spoke to the nation on behalf of the Lord, or actually spoke to the Lord on behalf of the nation. And he led the nation into repentance. I love Samuel's words in chapter 7. Look at chapter 7, verse 3. I love these words here that Samuel says. And here we have a model, a picture of returning to the Lord, a picture of getting your heart right before the Lord, a picture that is so poignant that Solomon will use these words almost to the same caliber when he dedicates the temple. Samuel says this, Verse 3 of chapter 7, Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. Samuel gives Israel a step-by-step action to take. These are action words. These are actions, something that Israel was supposed to do. And we pray mightily for our country. And every one of us uses 2 Chronicles 7.14, which is what Solomon said, basically rephrasing or paraphrasing these very words. Return to the Lord with all your hearts, with everything you have, with your whole being. Return to the Lord. Put away the foreign gods. Put away the things that you've been placing before the Lord, the things that you've been serving instead of the Lord, the things that you've been serving alongside the Lord. Put them away. Get rid of them. Get rid of the sin that so easily besets you. Get rid of it. It was paid for on a cross. Prepare your hearts. Make your hearts right with God because God looks upon the heart. Samuel's going to say that in 1 Samuel 16. For man looks upon the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. God knows your heart better than you know it. God knows what's going in your heart right now. He knows that when you say, I'm going to put away those things, he knows if you're going to do it or not. You can't fool God. You can fool me. You can fool me, but you can't fool God. Prepare your hearts. And then it says, serve him only. Then and only then will you have victory over your enemies. And it's interesting. It says Philistines, and they were talking about the Philistines here because the Philistines were a dreaded enemy to the nation Israel, and again, I'll repeat it, that we said that Philistine now is a derivative of the word Palestine, so it hasn't changed much, but I can use the word enemies. We have an enemy today. We have an enemy today. In fact, we have three, if you think about it. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil. And those three come against us in great powers and they try to sway us and lead us away from our God. So they are our enemies. So if we want victory over the enemy or those enemies, then we need to return to the Lord with our hearts. We need to put away the foreign gods. We need to prepare our hearts and serve only him. The the book tells us everything we need to know. Everything we need to know, even in the Old Testament, it tells us what we need to do. What we need to do. Israel, surprisingly, did everything that Samuel told them to do. They gathered at Mizpah, and they repented. They repented of their sin. They confessed their sin before the Lord. Look at verse 6. So they, that's Israel, gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said... There, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. They sinned. Our sin is against the Lord. We need to repent it. Then, what did the Lord do? He did exactly what he said he would do. They had a great victory over the Philistines. They did what they had to do, and then the Lord does what he has to do, or what he said he would do. Why? Because he's always faithful. The Lord is always faithful, always faithful. Have I said it too many times? The Lord is always faithful, always faithful. Even when we're faithless, he is faithful. Israel regains the land that they lost, the five cities that were taken by the Philistines. And to honor this, to, to honor the Lord in all this, Samuel sets up a memorial stone. It's called Ebenezer. And read that in verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called his name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. The stone commemorated not only the victory over the Philistines, but the return of Israel to their God. Thus far the Lord has helped us. And we talked about this at length last week. In our lives, if you're here today, and you are here, and you have breath in your lungs, and you look back, thus far the Lord has helped us. Why wouldn't he be faithful to continue? Scripture tells us that he will be faithful to continue over and over and over again. But now Samuel is well advanced in years, and a new generation of elders have emerged. Not only were there new leaders, but there were new ideas. There were new ways that they wanted to do things. They wanted change. They wanted to change the way they were governed. They wanted to abandon the way they used to be governed, and they wanted to go by the way of the world. Change can be good when it's directed by the Lord. Change is always good when the Lord is in charge, but when change comes from us and we demand a change, that the Lord change, that the Lord do this, it's never good. It's never good. We need wisdom to adapt to new challenges that come along with change. But, and this is a big but, we cannot abandon our old convictions of faith. There will be change. Change is always happening. But we cannot abandon our old convictions of faith. Why is that? Because our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Scripture says, I am God. I do not change. God doesn't change. So why should we change our approach to Him? Why should we praise God has helped us thus far? He's helped us thus far. Why should we change? He does not change. His word is as true today as it was the day the Holy Spirit inspired Samuel to write this down. It's just every bit as true. We can never have the mindset that God's word is not for today's culture or generation. Three years ago, in a ministry meeting, we gathered the ministry team together at a dinner, and we were having a meeting. We were talking about things. Church wasn't growing as well as maybe we'd like, but we had ministries, we had different things. And someone said, we shouldn't teach the Word of God anymore. It was too old fashioned. And the very words they used was, Dave, that might have worked in Vineland, but this is not Vineland. I'll never forget those words to this day. And I said, What about the Word of God changed? How did the Word of God change? If God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, his word's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his word will always be the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I've said, no, we're not changing. We're teaching the word of God. I don't care if one person shows up. We're teaching the word of God. It's the word of God that saves souls. It's the word of God that is true, that changes hearts. We were called to teach God's word, not have programs, not have different things, all this kind of stuff all over the place. Don't get me wrong. There are programs that are good. But everything we do at Calvary Chapel is based on one thing and one thing only, the word of God. You come here on Monday night to get freedom from addiction, you're going to hear the word of God. Because that's the key to getting free from addiction is the word of God. So we're not changing. But everybody wants to because we were challenged. We need new ideas. We need fresh ideas. Let's get smoke blowing up on the stage. Let's get lights blinking off and on and stuff like that. Let's change everything. Well, no. No. We're not going to do that. This isn't a show. And we've had concerts in here on this very stage. We've had concerts. That's a whole different realm of thing. But these are not shows. This plagues leaders even today. When change is in the air, leaders are faced with painful decisions about what is happening and must make difficult decisions regarding God's people. What is best for God's people? I've made that decision a long time ago in Calvary Chapel. What's best for God's people is God's word. That's what's best for God's people. Leaders must follow God's word through the Holy Spirit even when it's no longer popular. Even when it's no longer popular. We must serve God faithfully, and we must be faithful to his word. There's a lot of pressure on leadership from time to time to allow the things of the world to sneak into the church. A lot of pressure. Well, look. Look at this. Look at this. It's the prayer of Jabez. Ooh, that's that's good. This, And I'm going to say it. Ooh, look, it's a purpose-driven life. It's a purpose-driven church. Ooh, look, let's get these programs in here. This will change everything. It'll pack the doors down no this packs the doors this packs the doors because what i read in here in, in acts 242 it says and the lord added to the church daily those who would be saved i don't need programs i don't need gimmicks I don't need any of that. I have a Holy Spirit who guides and leads me and shows me and brings people and draws them in Then I stand up here and I teach God's Word. I say things like hell, I say things like sin, and I say things like repent because it's in God's Word. And that's why it's important. But you'd be surprised at how many churches are folding. They're succumbing to the pressure of the world. And they're becoming like the world. And when you walk in there... Your first words out of your mouth is, I don't see any different from here than going to a concert in Philly at the whatever. No. There is a lot of pressure. Pressure to make the church more appealing. You can reach a better group with this. You can reach a better group with that. Certain people, they want to stray from the God's word. or, Or what's even worse, they believe that if we add worldly things to the word of God, this is dangerous because this is what the Israelites were doing. Yes, they were supposed to turn to return to God and serve Him only. Why is that only there? Because they were still serving God. They were serving God, but they were serving Baal. They were serving the Asterisk. They were serving all these other gods in with God. No, it's dangerous. They didn't forsake God completely, they just added to that. And you know, you don't have to go very far back to the old testament. In fact, in Deuteronomy 5, when Moses is recounting the Ten Commandments, he basically says in verses 6 through 10, the Lord speaking, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself the carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or is in earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations, to those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. There shall be no other gods before him. Nothing is placed before our God. No other God. But Israel had a problem. There was no successor to Samuel. Samuel was the last judge. Samuel was considered the last judge. When we look back on the history of the nation, We know that Moses laid hands on Joshua and appointed Joshua as leader of the nation Israel. After they came into the um, land, there was no successor. Joshua didn't lay hands on anybody. Joshua didn't raise anybody up. The elders were left to train and serve God. But then they died and this new generation turns up and they turned away from God and they started following these idols. There was a succession of priests. The Lord would call out prophets when he needed them, but there was no one to lead the people, and there was no one to see that they obeyed their law. Samuel was the last of the judges. The judges were those who were raised up by God for a specific time and a specific purpose. You remember what was going on in the days of the judges? Let me remind you. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right with his own eyes. It was a time of chaos, a time of anarchy, a time of despair. Israel was nothing more than a loose confederation of sovereign tribes. Each one was expected to seek the Lord on their own and do the Lord's will by themselves. So now the elders gathered together, and they wanted a stronger central government. And they were going to make a request of Samuel. That's where we are today. That's where we are today. In in chapter 8, the first word says, and it came to pass. I love that. It came to pass. That shows you that there is a length of time in there. Now, I love that. I always get a kick out of this statement, usually signifies a transition. And it came to pass. It signifies a transition. We can have a transition in our life where you're feeling sick, low, hurting, and it came to pass. Feeling happy and joy and full of excitement. And it came to pass. I love that phrase. So chapter 8 begins with a look at Samuel's sons. Let's look at the first three verses. Now, it came to pass when Samuel was old that he had made his son judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Now Samuel was one of the godliest men in the Bibles that the Bible records. Samuel was one of the most godliest men, and he never specifically has said to sin, yet this may be sin on his part. He he we are after a pattern of judges being appointed by men, or of the office of the judge being passed from father to son. Samuel had no right to appoint his sons as judges. Samuel had no right for several reasons. Number one, most of all, is they were corrupt. They were taking bribes. They were were wicked. Even though they had godly names. Do you know the names they had were godly? Anytime you see E-L on the end of the name, it means God. Anytime you see J-A-H on the end of a name, it means Jehovah. Look at their names, Joel or Joel. It means all-powerful God. That was his name. Abijah means God is my father. That was his name. So when Samuel had these sons, he named them godly names. He named them after the God that he served. And he wanted them to emulate him and follow in his footsteps. But they did not walk in his ways. They were dishonest. They took bribes. They perverted justice. This is not an uncommon problem. Samuel should have just looked at objectively at his sons. It's interesting that he would excuse the sins in them. That others would see more clearly, but aren't we all that way? <laughs> aren't we all that way? Not my kid. We're that way with ourselves. I've said this before, I'll say it again. My sin looks horrible on you. Don't look so bad on me, but Ugh, on you. Huh. We're quick to judge. We're quick to judge others when it comes to ourselves. It's a common mistake we make with our family, especially our children. But in verses 4 and 5, the elders now are coming to Samuel and they make a request. Let's read it. Then all the elders of Samuel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. R-A-M-A-H was where he lived. That was his home. And they said to him, look, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all other nations. The first thing they say to Samuel is you're old. (laughs) I don't think that hurt him as much as when they said your sons don't walk in your ways. Samuel knew he was old. But when they said, your sons don't walk in his way, I think that was like a pierce in his heart. I think that hurt him. The realization of, no, my kids aren't coming along with the Lord. Knowing that some of our children are not walking with the Lord is very heartbreaking to my wife and I. It's heartbreaking. And we lament about it. And we cry about it. We pray about it because they're not walking with the Lord. But we know they're not walking with the Lord. It's like a, Knife in our heart when we think about it. Many believe that it was because of Samuel's absence that the children grew up the way they did. Remember, Samuel was a circuit rider. He was a judge and he would go all over the place on his donkey and his horse and he would make judgments about things that were happening. He would stay. He was a dad who was away from home all the time. He wasn't around. And once again, we see the effects and the results of a father not taking his rightful spiritual place. He was a missing father. He wasn't there. What was he doing? He was doing ministry. But ministry is good, not at the cost of your kids. Samuel did that. We can learn a lot from Eli and Samuel. We need to be praying for God to strengthen us so that we can teach our children the ways of the Lord. We cannot ever get so busy in ministry and our service with the Lord that we forget one of our most important ministries, and that is of our children. I'm guilty of that at times. I'm guilty of that at times. I, I confess before you, my congregation, I'm guilty of that at times. I place the ministry above my children. It's not right. I need to confess and repent of it. I need to seek better relationships with my kid. But on one hand, this is wise for the elders to do this. They did not have to accept these leaders who they knew were ungodly and corrupt. So this is a wise choice. But the elder says, your kids are, 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 are really bad, and we don't want them. So we're questioning this. But on the other hand, it was wrong for them to say, now make us a king like all the other nations. A bunch of little whiners. Well, they have kings. How come we can't have a king? I'm sure you never pulled that act with your parents. But they have a king. We want a king just like all the other nations. The elders were saying, we want to be like the rest of the world. Folks, that's a problem. That's a problem, when the Lord told them, come out from among them and be separate. Come out from among them and be separate. We want to be like everyone else, and this is such a dangerous place to be, wanting to be like the world. Why? You know, because the world is full of empty promises.
0: Although our time is coming to a close for the day, you don't have to stop studying God's Word. Feel free to read ahead in the book of First Samuel and find more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. All of Pastor Dave's messages are available to download for free. You can even subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to have updated messages sent right to your computer or phone. Find links at our website. Again, that's assurehoperadio.com. While we'd like to invite you to join us in person for church at Calvary Chapel, Cape May, right now we're following the Lord's guidance and remaining closed. However, we are still holding services online. Join us on Sunday mornings at 10 on Facebook and YouTube. Just follow the links you'll find at assurehoperadio.com. We're also streaming our Wednesday service at 7 p.m. along with Bible study and devotionals each week. It's important to stay connected to church community during this time, so we hope you'll join us. Is there anything we could be praying about for you? Please let us know. Call us at 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. Would you pray for us too? Please keep Pastor Dave and all of us at Calvary Chapel Cape May in your prayers that we'll be wise in our decisions and that we'll stay in tune with the desires of Christ. Thanks for praying. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us next time to continue learning from the book of 1 Samuel right here on A Sure Hope.